the book of Acts, and we're in the second chapter, please. And we're beginning to read at the fifth verse, and we'll read through to the end of the eighth verse. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Now, when we come to Acts chapter 2, and the last time we, we, we were in Acts chapter 2, we saw the dramatic events, the sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and the tongues which appeared, cloven tongues like as a fire. And then the disciples filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And following these dramatic events, what happens next? Well, when we come to verse 5, we find that God provides witnesses. Verse 5 here, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation unto heaven. And there were dwelling. These people, these men, were not just there by sort of chance or random events. They were there because it was God's time for them to hear and witness what had taken place. They may have thought they had travelled to Jerusalem because they wanted to, they had the idea to. But we know that God overrules what happens. It's God that has set the nations in their lands. It's God that appoints the times. Remember Joseph said to his brothers, they had sent him off down to Egypt for evil, but God had made it for good. God overruled and worked all things together according to his purpose, according to his will. And so, at this time of Pentecost, there were at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, out of every nation, unto heaven. And they were there to be witnesses for what was taking place. This was a sign unto them. And they were dwelling. Uh, this, this word here we have for dwelling at first glance, you think, and indeed, at first glance at the Greek behind it, you would think 
when it says they were dwelling, that they, they were living there. They were permanent residents. But that isn't always the way the word is used. And in point of fact, if you just look down a little further into um, verse 9, there's a list of places they come from. And it says there, and the dwellers in Mesopotamia. You see, some of these people are said in verse 5 to be dwelling in Jerusalem. But later on we find they were also dwelling in Mesopotamia. You see, that's where they lived. But they were staying in Jerusalem. In point of fact, we we read in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 20. In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this word is used to say that Elijah sojourned with the widow. He was there for a season, for a time. It wasn't his permanent dwelling place. Now Abraham, we read, dwelt or tabernacled. He dwelt in tabernacle. He, he, he lived in a tent. It was a temporary dwelling place. He moved about from place to place in his tent. He didn't have an abiding city. These were not permanent residents in Jerusalem. They were visitors. They'd come for the feast, for the Passover. Now, if you think back, they didn't have any aeroplanes. They couldn't just fly in for the day. They couldn't fly in for the week. It was a long journey. So, we don't know how long they were there. Some of them may have been there for an extended period. But it does seem that they were primarily resident in other countries and had come to stay in Jerusalem at this time. Their coming to Jerusalem, as I said, was providential. They were there for this mighty sign miracle that was going to be done before them. And they were witnesses of that. They were at Jerusalem. You see, Jerusalem was the place where the temple was. Where the great feasts took place. Jerusalem was the place where the adult males were required to attend for the feasts. And after the remnant had returned to the land after the days of exile, there were many Jews, most in fact, who did not live in the land, who did not live near Jerusalem. So it wasn't an easy thing to come up. But some did. And you might think perhaps it was the the prosperous ones, so to speak, but we don't know. But it was a multitude who did come, devout men. Devout? Devout has the idea 
originally of cautious ones who took hold well. They took care and it came to have the idea of having fear of the Lord, of being observant of religious rules. These would be Jews that sought to uphold the law of Moses. And we can see something of their devotedness by the fact that they actually came from many miles around to Jerusalem uh, seeking to observe the feast. Pentecost, of course, took place at the time of the year when travel was at its easiest. And it was likely, therefore, that more came than for other feasts at different times of the year when travel was harder. Devout. Does that mean they were... um, Men of faith? We, we don't know exactly what they were, except we can learn that you can't always assume that they were this. We can think on the one hand of Simeon. If we turn, please, to Luke chapter 2 and verse 25. Luke chapter 2 and the 25th verse. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And when we read this, we might assume that all those who were devout were indeed part of that remnant of faith as Simeon certainly was. But, if we turn over into the 13th chapter of Acts, and the 49th verse, and the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region, but the Jews stirred up the devout and honourable women, and the chief men of the city, and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. You see, these ladies were described as devout, but when the word of the Lord was published, when the gospel of grace went out, they became the persecutors of God's servants. They're described as devout. And one would assume from that that they had a knowledge of God's word. But they were persecutors of God's servant. So we can learn some lessons 
from the word devout. They were those who sought to uphold the law of Moses, to observe the feasts. They put a lot of effort into that. They were probably well versed in the scriptures. But that doesn't mean that they were of that remnant of faith. And you see later in this chapter that they needed to hear the gospel. Wasn't it Nicodemus? who was a teacher of the Jews. Wasn't it Nicodemus that was told, ye must be born again. You see, there are many religious people about. But they still need to hear the gospel of God's grace. They still need to hear the call to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is an urgent need in our land even today. There are many who are churchgoers. They're very frequent. I know not as many as there used to be, but there still are. They are, in some sense, devout. But they need to hear God's word of truth preached to them. They need to hear that message, you must be born again, just as Nicodemus did. We must be careful being devout doesn't necessarily uh, say anything about the person. Devout men out of every nation under heaven. Just one more thought on the word devout. You know, you could say that somebody who's devout is not lukewarm. It's somebody who puts some effort into what they say they believe. And that's something that could apply to us, isn't it? Do we put real effort into what we say we believe? Well, sometimes are we a bit lukewarm? It was those in a church who were described as being lukewarm who received that terrible warning I will spew thee out of my mouth. We've got to watch out not to be lukewarm. The Lord would want us to be hot, as it were, on fire with the gospel. Devout men out of every nation under heaven. Obviously, under every nation? Well, that's, that's, that's hyperbole. That's an expression that we use in general sort of conversation. But, actually, the Jews, after the exile were spread very widely about. 
And we have a list of places later on in this chapter. It's an extensive list. And secular historians like Josephus <coughs> give quotes, which you can read in the commentaries, about how it was said that there were Jews in every city of the world. But it was certainly of the known world, the civilized world, right across the Roman Empire and beyond. But this is actually an expression that is a biblical expression. It has a hint of Babel back in Genesis chapter 11. Genesis 11 verse 4 and they said go to let us build as a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth they feared being scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth and they decided to build this tower which in our English is translated as unto heaven. And God divided their languages as a judgment upon them to force them out across the whole world. And what we have in Acts 2, of course, is people who spoke different languages coming from different parts of the world and meeting together at Jerusalem. It wasn't a reversal of Babel, but it does remind us of Babel. It was a one-off event. The Lord's people today, we heard on the mission tape tonight about how some of them are learning languages and others are translating books. The languages are still with us. It's hard work. But there's that hint there, turning us back to Babel. And if we look in Deuteronomy, chapter 2, Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 25, This day will I begin to put the dread of thee and the fear of thee upon the nations that are under the whole heaven who shall hear report of thee, and shall tremble and be in anguish because of thee. Again, we, we have this use of hyperbole in the, in the verse here. All the nations that they were going to have to deal with would have heard reports of them and would fear them. The emphasis is on the extent to which this fear would be spread around. It's not necessarily to be taken as literally true that all the people right across the whole earth would have heard of the events. They weren't going to fight them all. They weren't going to have to face them all. There's, there's a, it's hyperbole. It's a way that we even speak today at times began to um, divide man out of every nation 
under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, when the events recorded in the first few verses of the chapter happened, news of it spread around throughout the city. This word noised is the word phone. A Greek word which we use in English today. It's surprising how many words in English language come from other languages. But this is this is one of them. And it means, of course, sound or noise. It can also mean voice. Interestingly, there's a usage of it as voice in, in Revelation chapter 5. Revelation 5 verse 11. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels around about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. See there at the start of verse 11, and I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels. It's a singular word, but it describes a lot of voices all speaking together. And it's the same here. The, 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 the word is describing it would seem that the disciples had been they were together probably inside when, when these events happened well in fact they were weren't they as it filled all the house where they were sitting and when they began to speak in tongues it would seem that they went outside and people heard them speaking and news of what they were doing and saying spread around and different people started to pass the word along and Jerusalem wasn't a massive place People started to gather and all gathered together. And something like this would draw a crowd, and this did. You know, sometimes amazing events can draw an amazing crowd, and this is what happened here. The multitude came together. And were confounded. Because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And were confounded. Uh, literally. They were all mixed up. It's like. It really meant. Originally pouring liquids together and mixing them up. There was confusion. They couldn't understand what was happening. They had this multitude of people from different countries speaking different languages and they come together and they hear 
they each hear their own native language being spoken. And it causes confusion. They don't understand what is happening. The whole multitude were all mixed up and confused. Because that every man. You see, we have that emphasis there. Every man. It wasn't just a few. But the whole multitude who'd come from different countries. Heard in their own language. That is, a, it's an emphasis, and this is a repeated emphasis in this passage. And when something is repeated more than once in a short passage, it's something that needs to be taken note of. This is what happened. Every man heard them speak in his own language. His own language. You know, it wasn't that they heard them speaking in their secondary language. It was their own native language. It would seem that this crowd who had come to Jerusalem probably spoke the language of Jerusalem as well. Aramaic. But... They had native languages of their own, where they had been brought up. And every man heard them speak in his own language. This word heard has something of the, an ongoing nature of it. As they were hearing, they were confused. When the speaking was going on, they were hearing, and they were all confused. This was not just a, a brief event, this was something that went on for some period. Every man heard them speak in his own language. You know, I would have the idea that all things were done decently and in order. And if you had 20 people speaking, or even 10 speaking at the same time in different languages, it would be very hard to understand or hear your own language. But if they each took turns to speak, it would be easy to understand even if they only said a sentence or two each in turn. You would hear your bit, and then you would hear something you didn't understand, something else you didn't understand. And then a few minutes later, you would hear your bit again, from different people, perhaps. We don't know whether it was the same person who spoke several different languages, one after the other, or whether it was several people who spoke a language each. We're not told. But we are told that they each heard in their own language. And that suggests it was done decently and in order. Very scriptural principle. Things should be done decently and in order. Especially when it relates to witnessing or worshipping the Lord God of heaven. Who is a God of order. 
It's a very important point to note. It's a very small one in the passage in a way. The passage doesn't make sense without it. And these things are, are given to us to learn from. The word language here has caused a little controversy. Dialectos. Sounds familiar. It's a Greek word, but it sounds familiar to us. Because we have a word that sort of is related to it. Dialect. And when we say dialect, we don't mean language. We mean a localised version of a language. You can tell a person who's been brought up on Merseyside or a person who's been brought up in Glasgow, Newcastle. Because they have different dialects. And that's what we think of. But this this word didn't originally mean dialect in our understanding. Its original meaning would seem to have been discourse. It came to mean conversation, mode of speech. And then diversity of language, whether national or provincial. So it speaks of differences of language, national or provincial. And the meaning would would really be that every man heard them speak in their own language, but, but even more... The very dialect that they owned, they spoke themselves in that language. They spoke it like native speakers. Have you ever tried to learn a language? It's not easy. It takes a lot of hard work. And it doesn't matter how far you get down the road, most native speakers, within a few moments of you opening your mouth, know you're not a native speaker. I, I know um, two, two girls, granddaughters of friends of ours. Their mother was born and brought up over here. She now lives in Germany. They were born and brought up in Germany. But they speak English fluently. Fluently with a German accent. Very strong German accent. But boy, their English is good. But I know they're not native speakers of English. Mind you, their English teacher in Germany isn't too pleased with their English accent because they they think it has too much dialect in it and it's not like the rest of the class speak English. (laughs) So we can tell the differences of provincial or, or regional variations in languages. And I believe the, the hearers here heard them as native speakers. It was a powerful miracle. What more? What else would God do? He wouldn't have them speaking with the sort of foreign accents that we develop, would he? If he gave them that ability to speak in another language be as a native speaker. Now I believe the very words we have in the text indicate that very, very clearly. Now, verse 7. 
And they were all amazed. We saw the word every. Now we have the word all. This emphasis again. The whole of the multitude. All of them. Were amazed and marveled. It wasn't just a few. It was all of them. It was a mighty miracle. We mustn't downplay the extent of the miracle. The miracle was amazing. It caused total confusion. Then they were amazed and marveled. And these words here, amazed and marveled. There's something special in in these words here. The the word amazed is is a word that's at the root of our word ecstasy. But, but, in the Greek, it didn't just mean uh, an extremely high state of joy and excitement. Being out of yourself with excitement. It didn't just mean, it, it applied to all the emotions. You're being out of your, yourself. It, it, it's attached to this word marveled. It's this Marveled is the specific application of this word. And it's it's saying that they were they were when they heard what was happening, what they were hearing, they were so taken out of themselves as they marveled at what was going on. They couldn't understand it, but they could marvel at it. They were they were really taken out of themselves with it you see again we see this weight of emphasis piling up at the amazing nature of this miracle and the response it found in this crowd behold look see behold are not all these which speak Galileans? You see, the word spread very quickly that the speakers were all from one place. They were all Galileans. Some take it this reference to Galilee is rather sort of disdainful because in many instances they were seen as being rather ignorant and backward. But it's difficult to say exactly whether that was in their minds or not. But we can certainly say that they saw them as coming from all one place. And therefore (laughs) that they wouldn't be speakers of all these different languages. We have Jerusalem. Around Jerusalem is Judea. Then we have Samaria. Then we have Galilee. Which together made up a part of the historic land of Israel. So it was one area. It was the part of the world where the Lord Jesus grew up. Nazareth was in Galilee. It was the part of the world where the Lord Jesus did a large part of his ministry. 
And whilst many looked down upon it, his gospel preaching found an acceptance amongst many of those people. And this is where his disciples came from. So the crowd are absolutely astounded that this bunch of Galilean men are speaking all these different languages as native speakers. Verse 8 And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born. It's important to note when we read a passage like this you've got a whole multitude there and we've got a verse or two that summarise what was being said in the crowd. People were saying this. doesn't mean everybody in the crowd literally said it at the same time. But it does mean this was the general comment that was being made. What we have is an accurate summary of what was being said. And how here we, every man, you see that emphasis again, every man, how here we, every man, in our own tongue. Again, that emphasis, our own tongue, our own language, wherein we were born. It could not be any clearer. There is no other possible meaning. When you pile all the different references up, one after the other, we have no other meaning open to us in this passage. They were speaking the native languages of these people in this multitude from across the Roman Empire and beyond. That is what it means. Now, we must remember Languages are important. Languages were given as a judgment way back at Babel as a preventative judgment to prevent sin, rebellion against God their creator. But that also means that when we come to the work of evangelism the Lord Jesus had something to say Matthew 28 19 Matthew 28 the 19th verse go ye therefore and teach all nations go ye therefore and teach all nations in this instance Jews from Many nations were gathered together and heard the preaching in their own languages. Today, the languages are all around the world and we have the work of going out to them with the gospel in strange languages like English. Otherwise, 
we'd all have to learn Hebrew, Aramaic and Greek. Just like the followers of Muhammad have to learn Arabic. But we have been given this wondrous example of the use of native languages. And I believe that whilst we have to work hard for the languages, it does justify us in using these different languages in the work of the gospel. There have been those who tried to restrict God's word and keep it out of the hands of those who wouldn't learn a special language. We think of the Romanists. For some strange reason, they they used Latin, which itself was a translation. It wasn't the original at all. But it kept God's word away from the people. But here we have the Holy Spirit bringing the message in the native language of the various peoples represented there. And so today, the work of mission goes on, the work of evangelism goes on, as I say, in strange languages like English and Swahili, languages in which the scriptures were not written. It's hard work learning languages, but well worth it, because that is how God's people are able to go out and teach all nations the wonderful works of God and to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, calling sinners to repentance and faith. 